Before we get into the word, I want to mention um, next weekend, uh, Eric and Lori Williams are going to join us and visit us for the day. And Eric is going to, I asked him to step in and lead worship. No, no, no has nothing to do with um, Steve, other than it's good for Steve to take a, a weekend off. But um, Eric and Lori, who, you know, uh, moved to the up north of Seattle, up Everett area last spring, and... Um, um, circumstances have, uh, have changed for them, and they're actually going to be moving to Phoenix. And so uh, talking with them last week, I said, you know, you get down here and uh, spend a Sunday with us and lead worship one last time before you move away. So um, they're going to be here next weekend, and I just think it'll be a great time. And, and so I just want you to know that Eric and Lori will be here next weekend. Here's our proverb of the day, 2721, fire test gold and silver, a person's reputation can also be tested. So the last couple of weeks, we've been in this passage, Second Chronicles 20, 20, um, where King Jehosha- Jehoshaphat stands up in front of the entire nation, and, he, and uh, he says to them, believe in the Lord your God, and you'll be established. Believe his prophets, or believe in his voice, and you shall prosper. From the very, very beginning, going all the way back to the garden, uh, we've had to choose what voices we're going to listen to. What voices do you listen to? It's a great question. So this week we're going to talk about whether or not, how to tell whether or not something that you're hearing is truly the supernatural voice of God. And uh, because there are a lot of voices out there. There are a lot of people out there that will tell you things and some of them will tell you things about God and some of them will pretend to be able to uh, give you something supernatural to hold on to. And um, so we're going to talk about that today. And, and uh, what I would like you to do is kind of keep this text passage um, in, in your mind as we go through this. Actually, every Sunday as we go through the Word of God, Isaiah fifty five eleven says, So shall my, uh, my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Um, that's a pretty, pretty amazing scripture because what it tells us is that God's word is supernatural. It tells us that his word is supernatural. It's engineered by God to do some things and to have very specific effect. It's supernatural. There's, there's nothing in his word. There's nothing in this book that is just filler material. You realize there's no filler material in here. Um, there's nothing in here that's a mistake. There's nothing in here that's just fun to tell, although some of it's fun to tell. I might have fun, fun going through an Old Testament story today. But every word in here was designed by the Lord. It was engineered by the Lord to have very specific application. And that, that application, it, that, it has application over and over and over again in the lives of people that are, that are willing to listen to him. So it never returns void. It never fails to accomplish its mission. So we're going to get into, jump right into the Old Testament today and to get um, into a story uh, where Daniel is talking about King Nebuchadnezzar, who at the time was the king of the world. So Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Could be a lot of, lot of scriptures here today, so we're going to fly along. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now these people supposedly were experts and they should be able to, uh, uh, you know, experts and understand the supernatural. So they should be able to explain it to him. Verse 3, and the king said to them, I've had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. Okay, so there's a transition that happens actually in this 
book in the original languages that it was written, it now shifts and the original text changes from Hebrew to Aramaic for the next several chapters, which is not so germane to our message today, but it's an interesting thing that occurs in the scripture. And it's also interesting that the Holy Spirit chose to put it in there to point it out to us. Whole different rabbit trail. A lot, lot going on here. Um, okay. O king. Now they're speaking in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and then we'll give you the interpretation. In other words, you tell us the dream, then we'll tell you what it means. Subtext. We have no idea what you dream, but if you tell us the dream, then we'll tell you something. You get the picture here going on. And, um, you know, O king, live forever. Verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. (laughs) This king is not firing blanks here. (laughs) He's saying, I'm not telling you the dream. What he's really saying is, you know, you claim to be able to have the power, these supernatural things going on, and if you really have them, you don't need me to tell you the dream. You just kind of plug in, and you'll know, and, and it's great. And so, come on, let's see what you got. And he's, you can see, you know, he's thought this through. I, I was, um, I, not so much in my study, but as in my reviews this morning, I was thinking as I was reading this again, he was prepared for this moment. There was something in him that had, had kind of risen to the place where he thought, you know what, it's time for us to test and see what's going on here. Okay, chapter, or verse 6. He says, however, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we'll give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is from You're stalling. You guys are stalling. <laughs> Let's hear it. He's starting to get a little agitated. Verse 8, 9, excuse me. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me until time has changed, until your time is up. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. If you can tell me what the dream was without me, tell, without me revealing it to you, then I'll know you're on to something, and I'll be able to trust what you tell me is interpretation. So he's really laying it out now for these guys. He's saying, you're, you, you planned all along just to lie to me. You're going to tell me what you thought I wanted to know and pretend that that was supernatural. (laughs) You've been getting away with it long enough. Those days are gone. And I think right now these guys are starting to get kind of like cotton mouth. They're trying to swallow and nothing will move and maybe a little bit of, you know, because it chopped up into pieces and the house burned. Okay, verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or or Chaldean. Finally, they have said the truth. No man on earth can reveal this dream to the king. It has to come from a supernatural source. They finally said the truth. They don't realize what they're saying, but they finally said it. Verse 11. It's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. They were pretty close there. Verse 12, for this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Okay, that word wise men, we'll keep going here in a minute, but that word, word wise men there doesn't mean that these are very, very, you know, intellectual people. It's a word describing um, 
they were considered, they were called wise men. The word there, kakim, is uh, the same word that's translated into the Greek in, into Matthew chapter 2, where you see magos, magi, traveling to worship Jesus. And they basically said, where is it that we find the boy born to be king of the Jews? Same word, wise men. And I just mentioned that to you because this is like another huge rabbit trail we won't go down today. But many people believe that the Magi mentioned in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 2 were descendants of Daniel. Maybe. I don't know. Intriguing though, isn't it? Okay. Chris- just a little touch of Christmas coming. Okay, Christmas is coming. Okay. I've already started watching Christmas movies. I didn't really stop last year, so I can't really say it. <laughs> Verse 13, so the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him. So innocent Daniel now, they're caught up in this whole thing too. Verse 14, then with the counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. So it says with counsel and wisdom, he goes to talk to the guy who's been ordered by the king to kill him. His life is in danger just to go talk to this guy. But with faith and courage, he goes to him and he says, hey, can I talk to you before you kill me? Okay. Verse 15, he answered and he said to Arioch, the the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? What's the big hurry? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. He told him the story. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Interesting that his courage was to go before the king who had ordered his execution and ask for more time. And the other so-called wise men had burned up all the time but somehow the king's heart was available. So I, I, see the, I think the spirit of God is at work here. Just an assumption. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. You would know them as Adrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't know the story. That they might seek mercies from God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. How's that for an understatement? Thank you, God. God shows him what he has to tell Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Thank you, God. He blessed him. You know, verse 20, then Daniel answered and said, blessed, here he goes to the king, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Now, (laughs) Daniel has now told the king what's what. You may be the king, but there's a God in heaven above who let you be king. Verse 22, he reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. And you can read the rest of this story later. (laughs) Pretty cool stuff that really goes on here in Daniel chapter 2. But this little passage shouts this huge statement about prophecy. It shouts it out to us. Prophecy truly is supernatural. It's a supernatural event. It's not the work product of studying. It's not the work product of being a nice person. It's supernatural. The secrets of God are revealed by God. It's a supernatural thing when prophecy occurs. It's kind of like something is either supernatural or it's not. It's, 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 it's a binary state. You're, you're pregnant or you're not. Right? Right, Talia? Are you pregnant? Huh? Okay. Sorry. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's supernatural. It's, it's, there's no, it's, it's, it's supernatural or it's not supernatural. There is no middle ground. I, I could win the state lottery. 
just to make an example here. I, I could win it. I have absolutely no plans to buy a ticket because I think that's bad stewardship. But I could still win. If the Lord wants me to win the lottery, somehow I will possess a ticket. It'll land on my doorstep in a windstorm. I don't know. But if God wants me to, I don't have to go buy the ticket. Why do I tell you this? First off, I believe it's true. So far, it hasn't happened. may never happen. But the point I want to make is this. If something is supernatural, it doesn't happen by us adding to something common and turning it into something supernatural. (laughs) Don't go buy a lottery ticket and then when you win, claim that God provided a miracle in your life. You just beat the odds. You cannot turn something common into something supernatural by anything you have to add. You get that? It's like, I can't add something. I can't add anything common to something that's supernatural and make it more supernatural. Can't do that. I got nothing to do with it. And um, if something is supernatural, it has to come off the fingertips of the king. It it has to come off the heart of the one who loves us. It, It has to be something of sovereign fiat. It has to be... What for him is routine and common, and what for you and me is impossible. So the question for today, how can you hear the inspired voice of God? How can you discriminate from from all that you know and you hear all the time versus what is truly just the voice of God? When's it supernatural versus when is it human work product? When is it something different? It's important to know. It's important to know that because God tells us, and we've been in this, this little scripture, 2 Chronicles 20, 20, God tells us to believe his prophets, to, to, to believe in the ongoing present voice of God. And he says, if you do that, you will prosper. He's basically saying, if you listen to me, things will be better for you. That's the Terry translation. And, and it's a promise worth going after. It's a great promise. So, so knowing when it's his voice... And believing in it leads us to prosperity. But believing in it, believing in in a false voice, that's not good. It's just not good. So knowing when and how is is a pretty important thing to do. I'm going to give you three ways to hear God's supernatural voice. Some Some of these are very simple, and some are going to require that you do a little bit of homework and know the Word of God and have a little bit of faith. So, okay, three ways. First way is God's written Word, the Bible. The Bible. And you, you know the Lord is speaking to you. He is speaking to you through his word. You know that, right? Okay. I mean, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it, the more you read this and the more you know it, the more you will hear the voice of God in it. His plan for you is contained in his word. It's not, um, it's, it's not um, a circumstance you face. It's, it's not, it, 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 there's not a, a decision that you face. There's not an opinion that the Lord would want to shape in you. There's not a, a heart that the Lord would want to reshape differently that isn't somehow addressed somewhere in his word. It's in the book is supernatural. And I don't mean incantations and magic. It's supernatural though. A second way that you can hear the Lord's voice is through the ministry of other godly people. You know, there are lots of godly people in your life. And the Lord will use a wide range of people. Some of them will actually operate in the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. We won't go into that too much today. I'll talk about it a little bit, um, you know, such as prophecy. But some of them will operate in the, in the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, whom the Holy Scripture says the Holy Spirit gives as he wills. It's never the musterings of somebody's willpower. 
It's something that the king does when he decides to, such as today during worship. The king willed to supernaturally bring peace in some places. That was a prophetic utterance and a word of knowledge. And, I, and, I, and I, so that's, that's, that's an example where the Lord will use godly people in your lives. And uh, we're going to talk about that more in a couple minutes. You'll also hear the Lord's will from, for you through godly people through what I'm going to call the common. I don't mean to be denigrating all, but it's common. The, the common thing is people, godly people in your life like parents, friends, colleagues, spiritual coverings, other godly people. And they'll help you know what the will of God is. They'll help you understand um, how God's word would be applied in your life because of their wisdom and their life experience and their walk with the Lord. So it, it's, I call that common because it should happen all the time. And it's not so much supernatural as it is um, the godly people that the Lord has put in your life. I believe the Lord intentionally put people in your life for you to benefit from their experience, from their training, and, and uh, to help you guide, uh, guide you and help you hear his voice. Third way that you'll hear God's voice, and I think is by far the most common, is God's still, small voice. Now, this moment in the message begs to be laughed at because... You know, media would say, well, you're hearing voices, huh? <laughs> and they'll go, okay, you know, let me put in this suit where your hands get strapped. You're going to need a straight jacket. You start hearing voices. And um, this is different. This is different. This is where the Lord will nudge your heart. This is where the Lord will, will there will be some sort of confirmation that you'll receive. Um, you know, for example, you'll be contemplating something and and uh, which, which you know to be godly, and circumstances will pop in your life, and some confirmation will happen and show up for you, and you'll think, wow, that is, that's either this humongous coincidence, or it's the handiwork and the weaving, loving hands of the king. A friend will bring up something, some topic that you have never discussed with them before, but has somehow been hidden in your heart, and you've been mulling it for some period of time, and your friend will bring it up, and you'll know that the Lord is in there. The Lord will send you signals. The question is this. How loud does he have to get? Because he doesn't want to yell to communicate with you. He just wants to talk. He made this decision a long time ago that he doesn't want to yell to get the attention of his kids. And we're coming to that in just a minute. So what, what does the supernatural through other people look like? Okay, I'll give you one example here. We'll, we'll talk about this today. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 talks about prophecy. He says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God sp spoke as though they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Moved by the Holy Spirit, not by their experience. I put that Scripture into our message just to point out that prophecy is supernatural in origin. It's not the work product of, of a man. When you see people prophesying um, in Scripture, it just happens a lot in the Old Testament, um, some in the New Testament, there's this shift that happens. And this, ship, this shift will help us identify what prophecy is and what it is not. In the New Testament, um, I'm, I'm going to go down a certain vein here because of what people think about when they hear the word prophecy. Um, in the New Testament, there are only four places in the Scripture where you see the word is translated, we would see it as foretold, telling, predicting the future, okay? A lot of times it happens in the Old Testament. 
Four times in the New Testament, you'll see that word foretold. Three of them, three are um, Luke 1, Hebrews 1, and Acts chapter 3. And all three of those instances of prophecies where something is foretold, they were foretelling the coming of Jesus. Okay, so these were, these were people quoting other statements foretelling the coming of Jesus. The only other New Testament use of the word foretelling or planning in advance has to do with a person who was planning in advance to go to the temple to give their offering. Same word. Why do I bring this up? Well, maybe you remember um, late night infomercials. I don't know why you're up watching those things late at night. You should go to sleep um, instead. But Dion Warwick, remember that? Psychic Friends Network. For $3.99 a minute, you could talk to one of their um, personal consultants for an ongoing future therapy session. Your future would be to be have a drained bank account. I mean, there are, I, mean I predict that. I mean, there are these people who would tell you about your future as long as you keep shoving money into the pipes. Now, that was then. You, you know, sadly, um, Psychic Friends Network has not gone out of business, but in 2012, they did make the shift to being an online. There are others. There are many online psychic networks where if you pay money, someone will talk with you about your future. And here's what happens when you shove your money into those pipes. Either you're going to be talking to a scam artist where prophecy seems to be always predicting about the future, or you're going to be talking to someone who is, in turn, there talking to demons. Your, your, your choice comes down to spending your money on something demonic or spending your money on a scam. Either way, don't put your money into those things or your time. Don't, don't, don't go and sit down at the county fair and let somebody give you a tarot card reading or read your palm. Those things are not harmless. Don't, don't let them do that. Those practices are prohibited in the Word of God because some of the people doing them are dabbling with demonic forces. And if you participate, when you do that, you open yourself up. It's, it's like inviting demonic activity, which is not a good thing to do. Instead, we need to be people who walk wisely and walk in the world. We're in the world, as Jesus described, but doesn't, we're not of the world. I know, kind of weird about this, and I try not to make a scene, but, and I, don't, I, don't, I haven't been to the Olympia Farmer's Market um, this last season, but I used to go down there once in a while and... Um, pick up a few things, and there seemed like there was always a spot there where there was one or two people, um, you know, doing palm reading or something, tea leaves, doing something like that for people. You pay money, sit in the little tent, and they smile at you, and they tell you things. And I would, if I had enough time, I would kind of stand off to the edge, out of sight, and just kind of watch and see what was going on, and um, then start praying. Lord, just make this a really confusing conversation. Make, make, make it seem stupid to the person. Lord, stop the flow of demonic words. Cause this to create a bad taste in the mouth of the person hearing and in the mouth of the person giving it. You know, my family, we, we, um, we've... We've been doing Christmas card pictures since our children were little, I don't know, 35 or 36 or 37 years in a row. We go up to Mount Rainier and we take a picture in the snow. And then we, you know, so I have these pictures of 37 years in a row of our family growing. It's pretty cool. But on our pathway to get there, uh, won't be this year because, you know, we're, we live down here a little closer. But for a long time, we were going out Yelm Highway and we had to go past Ramtha's house. 
right? And um, now on the other side of the street, there is some sort of a Buddhist monastery or something. And I have to tell you, I do this really terrible, good thing. When I'm driving on the road there, I can't, I, whatever conversations, we're listening to Christmas carols, I start praying, Lord, confuse everything going on in these places. Make it seem like confusion to the people. Make people be repelled from being here. Shut down the flow. Shut down the flow of words. Shut down the flow of money. Shut down this operation. Shine light in there. Bring people out of those fields that are sitting out there humming or whatever that they're doing and bring them into the light, God. I pray about that kind of stuff when I go by those places. My kids, my family, I guess they're probably used to it by now. It's just like, I think, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and rulers in, in powers in high places. So anyway, okay. So in the Old Testament, you'll see a lot, all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see a lot of prophets there who were predicting the future. And we looked at several last week, a lot of them, um, a lot of them prophecies that were made and fulfilled by Jesus. In the New Testament, there are also some who talked about the future. I, I'd say certainly the largest example in the New Testament would probably be uh, John, who wrote the Revelation, which is obviously about future days, a pretty long prophecy about the future. There was also a guy named Agabus. There was John the Baptist. Jesus made some prophetic comments. I mean, you know, the cock will crow, crow three times. There were, there, were lots of, there, there, there were several examples, a handful of people in the New Testament who, who as they prophesied, they talk about the future. But the number significantly and dramatically changed compared to the Old Testament because something changed in the functioning of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's still at work, but the way that the Holy Spirit works has shifted. In fact, Jesus himself announced this change in a couple of places. Luke 24, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Now, here's something that's going on here that I will just point out. He's saying to his followers, he is saying to Christians, hold on, you're going to experience something beyond what you already know. Something is going to change in your relationship with me and with God the Father. Holy Spirit is, there's been a promise and the Holy Spirit is coming. So this was to believers who had not yet experienced this, this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then he says in Acts uh, chapter 1, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, obviously Jesus is announcing something is changing. And that topic is not even a rabbit trail. That's a whole series. I've talked about that before, and I'll probably do that again at some point. But I want to point out that there's a shift going on. Jesus is saying the way that the Holy Spirit and the way that the Father interacts with mankind is shifting. And he makes this proclamation. And it's amazing to me because in all of history up until that time, here's the way the Holy Spirit would work. God would sovereignly choose to speak through someone and he would pick that person and the Holy Spirit would come upon that person. They would proclaim the word of God, whatever it was, supernaturally. Then the Spirit of God would depart from that person for uh, another time or another event or something else. And that was it. Those people didn't, they, 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 all they said wasn't always being anointed by the Holy Spirit, but except at those times. Now, I've been a Christian a follower of Jesus for several decades, and um, I know, like many of you know, 
that I walk with the Lord, and um, you know that you're walking with the God. I know I'm walking with the Lord, and I know that I'm in the, some kind of a regular communication in some, some regular, consistent communion with Holy Spirit. I, I know the voice of the Lord. I know when he's saying, Terry, three degrees left rudder. Terry, 180. Turn around, go the other way, which the scripture, scriptural word for that is repent. I know when the Holy Spirit is saying, go, get going. <laughs> you can probably guess from my temperament, he uses different phrases and intensity in different times. And I, I wish I could tell you that I was more obedient than I am. I wish I could tell you that I'm more sensitive to his voice. And I wish sometimes I, I, I didn't let things get in there that would, would, would shout down the voice of the king. But I think I'm better at it today than I was yesterday. And I expect I'm going to be better at it tomorrow than I am today. But I know I walk with the Holy Spirit. And I think probably many or most of you do as well. But back then, they didn't have that. It's kind of hard to imagine, you know, what... For those of us who have, who walk with the Holy Spirit, it's kind of hard to imagine, you know, um, Old Testament people because the only way that they, they, the people that love God knew how to worship him back, back then, you killed an animal. You rested on the seventh day. You rested your fields. You, you, um, you, know, you didn't put yeast in your bread. That's how they would work. They had all these different laws. And that's all they knew about having a relationship with God. Here's the list. Check mark. Check mark. But God planned this Wonderful, wonderful shift. Along comes Jesus saying, hey, things are changing. Father's going to be sending the promise, and he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Amazing. What an amazing thing. You know, for Terry, the parent now of grown children, this is the second most important thing to me about parenting. The absolute first most important thing to me as a parent was to see my children know Christ, to come into a, a salvation, a, a salvation, a knowing relationship, walk with the king. Number, absolutely no question, the number one thing. The number two thing for me was for them to learn to walk in cadence with the voice of God, to be able to hear and sense the Holy Spirit in their lives. And um, because it changes your life. It changes everything. So Jesus makes this proclamation. Imagine <laughs> him saying that. As hard as this was for them to understand, it's hard for us to think about the power of Elijah. That same powerful Holy Spirit who um, <laughs> called down fire and it consumed and all that kind of stuff. That same spirit comes upon you and upon me. Amazing. Jesus is saying something really big, something really powerful can happen in your life, and not just once or twice to a person in a generation, but to everyone who calls and follows, calls on and follows Christ. And that's one of the things that changed. So when you think of the word prophet or prophecy, stop thinking about predicting the future. Scripture tells us what prophecy is in 1 Corinthians 14. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Three words that are basically pretty simple. Uh, edification, the word is doma there. This is in Greek, the, the Koine Greek, 
the word actually means roof. And what the word actually is trying to suggest there is to build up. Edification is to build up. And I'm, I'm giving you three ways, um, three ways you can measure whether it's really a prophecy or not. Okay, first one is, is edification. Second one is exhortation, paraclesis, which doesn't mean, to sp- it doesn't mean speak and motivate. It, it means literally to call and invite. It means to draw in. Okay, so we're going to build up, we're going to draw in, and then comfort, paramuthia. The word here simply means comfort or console. So when somebody comes and prophesies today, it's not about predicting the future. It's about building you up. It's about comforting you. It's about drawing you closer to Jesus. Those are the measuring sticks of prophecy today. And, and here's the deal. You can know the will of the Lord for you all by yourself. You don't need somebody else to prophesy to you like Jonah or Elijah or all that. You can do it on your own. You yourself can hear the Lord's will for you all by yourself. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 promises, says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Only Jesus. There's no mediator between you and God. There's no Moses, no high priest, no pastor. There's nobody. There's no mother, no, no father, no wife, no husband. No one between you and God except Christ. And the Lord speaks to you directly. John chapter 15, these are the words of Jesus. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. And it's his still, small voice. Here's an example of God yelling, okay? I'm going to give you an example of God yelling. Okay, um, there's this contest between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And Elijah finally hears something from the Lord, and he says to these prophets, he says, hey, we're going to have a contest. You build an altar, but don't light it on fire. And you call down fire from your God. I'll do the same. Whichever one burns, that's the real God. Agreed? Agreed. (laughs) There's 400 of them. So they go first. The bad guys go first. And... um, they build their altar, and they're crying, and they're, they're, they're doing demonic dances and all these things that they're trying to do. Nothing's happening. Middle of the day, and they start cutting themselves, and they're doing all these different things. Meantime, Elijah's watching, and he's <laughs> he starts mocking them. And when you read the comments that he made in Scripture, when you really study them down, <laughs> he's trash-talking them. I mean, major league trash-talk, because what he's really saying Maybe he's not doing it now because he's going to the bathroom. You can read it. That's what he's saying. He's, is, maybe he's busy. He's, he's just mocking them. and he's having, you know, he's, he's having a good time. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this. Meanwhile, no fire. It doesn't work. His turn. He prepares God's offering according to Scripture. He does it the way he's supposed to. And, and then when he's done and ready to go, he doesn't start, stop there. He starts pouring water on it until it's drenched Pours, there's now a moat around it. There's so much water. He prays, pff, down comes the fire. And not only does the sacrifice burn, but the altar, the water, everything's gone. God is going, yeah! And you see God, this is God, in my mind, this is God yelling, showing himself in such an undeniably powerful and hot way. It's, it's, and everybody sees this, and um, it's a great story. You see what's going on there because the animal, the altar, all of it's gone. I run into people who are trying to figure 
God out for themselves? And it's kind of a common question. They don't put it in these terms, but they'll say, how come, how come God doesn't just show up? Why doesn't he show himself in some big, huge way? He could take over every satellite channel and be on every TV in every world, you know, all around the world. He, he, he could interrupt the Half Bowl J-Lo concert or whoever. Is J-Lo going to meet? Whatever. Anyway, so he, he could interrupt the halftime concert and people would see him and he could just stand up. I am God. Worship me. Square your life away. He could do that. You know, some huge, magical, mystical, why doesn't God do that? My answer to you is he has. He, he has done it over and over and over again. There's lots and lots of examples. And the thing is, it's never enough to satisfy us. It's never enough. In fact, there's a reference to it where um, in the New Testament that basically talks about this evil generation seeks after a sign. I could give it any more sign than the sign of Jonah. Get off on that. So Jezebel, meanwhile, it's just never quite enough. So now Jezebel, back to our, our story here, she's pretty ticked off because after all this altar stuff, the people realize that God is God, and he gets them all riled up, and they kill all of the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them. She's mad because those are her guys, and um, so she has got a lot of authority, and she says she orders, go find Elijah and kill him. Now... <laughs> The very same guy who has all this faith to call down fire is running like a little scared rabbit. He's afraid. And the Lord starts speaking to him. 1 Kings 19. Now this is God talking to Elijah after this whole episode. And Elijah's on the run. Then God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. Stop there for a minute. Picture that. There has never been, I have never heard of any historic account of a windstorm so strong that it cracked the rocks of a mountain. Right? <laughs> this was a terrible, terrific storm. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Hinge. Here's this huge shift in the way God has decided to interact with mankind. It's amazing. He could have done it in all these big signs, but that's not what he used. He used his still, small voice. I think this is a tremendous moment in history. I really do. Because instead of all the smoke and the chrome and the earthquakes and the lightning bolts and these huge demonstrations, the Lord just wants to sit down with his son and whisper his love and just nudge him about how he cares about him and, and, and help him make the right decisions. Instead of huge displays, God chooses one-on-one, -on -one, intimate, loving, quiet the still, small voice. And here's the thing. Hearing that still, small voice was probably Elijah's biggest accomplishment. <laughs> he, he, he was the vessel of some pretty major miracles. But what had to have happened in his heart to settle down and trust a still, small voice instead of fire? <laughs> I think that's it's way better. And, and that, still, it's, that still, small voice is way better than calling down fire for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is because it's the Lord's will. 
That's how he wants to talk to you and me. It's, it's the highest. It's the best. It's, it's the most intimate. It's the most loving. That windstorm was so tremendous it tore the rocks apart. God was not in the wind. What are you expecting? Where are you looking for God? What is the expectation that will cause you to say, when I see that, then I'll know that God is at work? How, how big does the display have to be? How unexpected before you'll decide that it's God? What kind of construct have you fabricated in your mind and in your heart and, um, that says, when God shows up, I'll see it because of fill in my blank? It's a still small voice. It's supernatural, still small voice. That's how the Lord wants to regain sway over your heart. He doesn't want to prove it to you with you know, some sort of beating you at a chess game. He just wants to love his way right into your heart. So this huge change happens, and, and as we see that the primary ways that the Lord speaks to his people, it shifts from these, these huge demonstration of power to the masses, to this, his supernatural word, his personal supernatural acts, and his still small voice to individual hearts. I believe the Holy Spirit is constantly whispering to you. He's constantly whispering to you and me but there's a lot of static, <laughs> a lot of static. You know, your boss expects something of you. You got to bring home the paycheck. Taxes are going up. Your kids have been doing these things. And then you bring your own issues to the soup, you know, to the, to the recipe, things that you care about that are important to you. There's all kinds of things. And there's all this static. And the static can get really, really loud. It's like white noise. And it could be really, really hard to hear the whispers of the king, but they're there. I promise you they're there. The still, small voice of the king is talking to people in this room right now. Is, is your heart so full of cares and concerns that you can't hear it? And, and, and it's understandable if that's where you are because the Lord wired your heart with this way to give you feelings and passions and dreams. And he wired you to have the ability to love deeply. And because of that, you're also wired for the exact opposite, to hurt deeply, to be hurt deeply. But those things, they can become static too. Or is there an availability in you because you've chosen it? And that's key because nobody is pre-wired to always hear the voice of the Lord. You have to choose it. You have to choose that you're going to listen to the whispers of the king. You have to just have to choose it. And I know sometimes when we're in the crowd, the crowd's saying, you, 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 you know, you can fill in the blank. It's not hurting anybody or anything. And I didn't fill in the blank for you because I think the Holy Spirit will be filling that in for all of us um, privately and personally. But the crowd can be the national media. It can be your friends. It can be all kinds of voices. And the Holy Spirit's saying, you know, Terry, that's not my way to build your life. That's, that's not my way to make things happen for you. That's not my plans for how to bless you. That's not my intention for how I'm going to give you the good things that I, that I have for you. His conversations are very, very specific. And, um, and I'm not talking about, I know at times he will give us corporate words too, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking here about your day-to-day -day routine decisions, the choices that you make. Where do you put his still small voice? Or what are you requiring? Are you requiring the fire of God? 
The reason that I mention this and this, I'm wrapping up this series today with this, is that it's important for us to believe in the Word of God. It's important for us to honor and listen to His ongoing voice of our Lord because He says we'll prosper. And the world is getting a little bit more savage. Have you noticed? <laughs> day by day. You know, there are things that are happening around us that just don't make sense anymore, and those things are meant to rob and to kill and to destroy. And I would like for us and our church to be people who hear and listen to the still, small voice of the King. It's getting deeper and stronger. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, that how, how could we possibly understand the gravity of the gift that instead of showing up through one or two appointed people per generation to speak your words in your way and these huge miraculous shows that you did, instead you want to walk with us personally, individually, intimately, showing the miraculous in our lives time after time after time if we're just available to see it. Lord, forgive us for the times that we would give you some sort of hurdle and say, this will be God if you do X, Y, and Z. Instead, Lord, we recognize that it's your love, God, for us. I heard a scripture from one of these little ones today who said, I know the plans I have for you, not about your destruction, but about your future and your hope. So Lord, I want to pray Jeremiah 29, 11 over me and over this flock today. And Lord, somehow tied into that prosperity is the simple willingness and ability to hear your sweet voice. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.